Hello, hello, and welcome to Soccer Made in Portland on OregonLive.com and Stumptown Footy. My name is Chris Reifer, and joining me, as always, the Timbers and Thorns beat writer for the Oregonian and OregonLive.com, Jamie V. Goldberg. Jamie V., what's up? Not much. I, I get to talk to you earlier in the week than, than usual. We, we don't usually record on a Sunday nights, so this is a, a pleasant surprise, uh, I guess, for Sunday night. I know. It was Sunday evening. We're, we're recording. It's a long weekend uh, for many. Uh, it's kind of awkward. So so th- this year, the 4th of July falls on Tuesday, um, which is great because the 4th of July is on a Tuesday. But it, but it sort of like creates an awkward situation with Monday and like people going to work. Uh, because like, do you not go to work and like have a full four day weekend? Uh, do you go to work, break it up then like, yeah, so I am not, I'm not working tomorrow. My, my employer was kind enough to sort of declare it a holiday and you know, that's how it goes. And so that's great. Uh, but yeah, I like everybody is sort of in a different, in a different state, (laughs) me sitting here on Sunday evening, ordinarily I'm like, all right, getting back into the week. And now I'm just like, I did some like gardening today. It's like I get to do Saturday over again. It's lovely, <laughs> really lovely. How about you? What's your plan going forward? I guess you probably like you're you're sort of on the clock all the time, right? Yeah. You're, you're you're you know a journalist, so you gotta you know gum shoot up and all that. But yeah, I uh, I mean I did a little bit of work today, um, just given <laughs> that the game on Wednesday, I have to get start stuff started for that. Um, definitely we'll be at Caleb Porter's press conference tomorrow. So I'm doing the full going back to work for Monday, but I do plan to take 4th of July off, uh, unless, uh, the Timbers decide to do anything, um, super newsworthy and I'm going to have a barbecue in my yard. We've been, um, working on getting the yard to a point where, uh, it's ready to host people. And, uh, we went and bought a grill this weekend, Ooh, which was really exciting Nice and so, and set up a picnic table. A, a nice, so like, was, big grill? Or are you talking, like, charcoal style? What's up? Oh, it's it's a gas grill. It's a pretty... I'd say it's pretty nice. Um, it was, like... Yeah, I feel like it wasn't one of those, like, really expensive ones. <laughs> <laughs> so, they get, you can get... I didn't realize how much you could, peop, you could actually spend on a grill if you wanted to. But um, I, I'd say it's a decently nice gas grill. Um, something that, hopefully, we're going to use a bunch uh, since it's been warm out. And now we got a picnic table in our yard so we can actually sit out there. Yeah, for sure. I mean, let, let's keep Home and Garden uh, made in Portland going here. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm an apartment dweller, and so, but I've got like a little balcony with some planters and, and, and stuff like that that I've just sort of historically neglected, but but kind of getting gear in order this weekend uh, and getting the, the all those sorted out. So, you know, I mean, I'm by I'm far from a green thumb. Uh, I, I know nothing about any of that. Uh, basically, I mean, you know, I did stuff with, you know, with my parents as a kid and stuff and stuff like that. It's not like I'm, I've never been outside before, but, uh, but yeah, so, so, you know, redid all those, like got a couple pots and planters and stuff like that, a hanging planter, which is kind of a fun thing. Um, and, and so, yeah, it's, it's looking up and got, you know, one or two more things to do with my, like only halfway through a four day weekend. This is what happens by the way, when we record a podcast on, uh, on a weekend, we just start talking about gardening. And, and, and stuff like that. So I hope you all enjoyed uh, Home and Garden in Portland uh, segment. It, it, it's no like fixer upper Chip and Joanna Gaines or anything like that. But, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm looking out on it right now. It looks pretty good. Um, soccer. That's what we talk about after we like dawdle around for a little while. Dawdling over, soccering beginning. Uh, Sporting Kansas City won, Portland Timbers won. That is a game that was played yesterday uh, afternoon. 
before the Thorns took on the Seattle Rain, which we'll get to in, in a little bit. Uh, our predictions, nowhere near close, but I think uh, for the first time in a while, on the happy side of nowhere near close, uh, you called a 2-0 loss. I will say both of our side bets like kind of have a little bit of hilariousness in them. Uh, you called a 2-0 loss with both goals occurring after the 60th minute. Uh, the funny thing about that is SKC did score a goal, and it was in the 60th minute. Uh, so you were technically wrong, but oh so close to being correct, uh, because you called after the 60th minute, and it happened in the 60th minute. Uh, or at least, you know, like in the neighborhood of correct, I, sh- I should say, because you would have still been wrong about the both goals thing. Uh, I called a 4-1 Timbers loss, uh, which which is not close to to how it was. But I called a Lawrence Olam goal, which was like, which absolutely should have happened. Uh, and if it if it had happened, if he had scored a goal that he absolutely should have scored, uh, there's every possibility that the Timbers would have won the game. Uh, although uh, the more cynical among us, and honestly, I'm not sure there's anybody that's not cynical at this point, uh, would say, nah, they would have, they would have fumbled that away too. Uh, but in any event, uh, our our predictions not so good. Uh, I do though think we both deserve. Uh, some measure of recognition for kind of the the hilarious way in which we missed our our respective side bets. So I'm going to give us both 0.179 points. What do you think about that? Uh, just for sort of like the ha 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 you 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 sucked, but in sort of a funny way. <laughs> yeah, sure. Uh, I guess that's a way to recognize it. Um. <laughs> Um, okay. So yes, that's all you're going to say about that. You're just like, that's a way to recognize it. And then you're just like, yeah, stupid, Chris, I, what are you thinking? I, I, <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I, I guess it's a way to recognize it. I was just going to give a zero. Um, but you know, maybe this way we'll look back on, on this a little bit more fondly, uh, remembering the points coming with it. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I mean, just, just so you know, if you get the side bet wrong in sort of a hilarious way in a hilarious fashion, you can come away with like a tenth of a point or so. A tenth of a point here, a tenth of a point there. At the end of the season, none of this matters. So who cares? Um, okay. Uh, <laughs> I think if we start big picture, this is a good way to frame the discussion. Was it more disappointing, do you think, uh, that the Timbers couldn't capture that win after scoring the goal again in the first half, going up, playing well in the first half, really playing well in the first half, frankly, uh, but nonetheless, not being able to hold on to that result and see it through for the three points, or is it more heartening that the Timbers, by and large, played pretty well and and ultimately earned a tough draw on the road uh, against the team that that I I think you know, it, by every objective measure, has been the best in the Western Conference over the course of the first half of the season. Uh, where do you land on that? More disappointing or more heartening? I, I think. Uh, after this game, I was thinking a little bit about the Dallas game earlier in this season where the Timbers twice held the lead on the road and, and ended up selling for a 2-2 draw. I remember coming out of that game feeling, you know, slightly disappointed that they weren't able to pull it out, but but overall feeling pretty happy uh, with the result given that the Timbers picked up a big draw on the road against a, a really good team. And I consider that almost a, a statement um, draw um, to show that they could go toe-to-toe anywhere, against any team anywhere in the league. Um that I think I felt that way, given the context of how the Timbers have been playing up to that point, going into this Kansas city game, they pull out the draw against a very uh, good team. The best team in the Western conference, a team that had only conceded. I, I think Diego Valeri's goal was the fourth goal that Kansas city had conceded uh, at their home field. But I have to go on the side of, I, I'm feeling a little bit more disappointed because of what the Timbers have been doing as of late. 
and how this kind of fits into that narrative. I, when you look back at the last four games, the Timbers are winless in the last four matches. They've held the lead in three of those four games at halftime. In the other one, it was, it was a draw at halftime. And they haven't gotten a single win. Uh, they're 0-2-2 and um, in those last four games. And I think you can't look at this game and completely um, just... You, you can't look at this game without recognizing that the Timbers did pick up a big point on the road, that they moved, I would say, in a positive direction overall with the performance. It, it wasn't quite um, as bad as we've seen those second halves in, in recent weeks. But you have to be disappointed that once again, the Timbers held the lead going to the second half. And, and not only were, were they not able to close it out um, by keeping Kansas City off the board, they blew two opportunities to take the lead later in the game with Diego Valeri missing a penalty kick um, and Lawrence Holm missing a sitter right in front of the net. So I'm still disappointed about this if I had to pick between the two, but but I do recognize um, that it was a better overall performance and, and it's always good to get a point on the road, especially against one of the best teams, uh, the best team currently in the Western Conference. Yeah, it, you know, this is an easy question. It's a really easy question. If you were to sort of take the game out of context, right? If you were to only look at this game, only look at the performance the Timbers put in, only look at uh, the result they earned uh, and and sort of the the circumstances in which they earned it on the road at Kansas City, you'd say, heck, yeah, that's a that's a pretty darn good performance. We're pleased with that. Uh, that's a good point. Uh, we'll take it and come back and look to get three against the Fire uh, midweek. Uh, and 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 I think that that would be you know sort of the 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 easy and unquestionably right take. But things don't happen out of context, uh, and and you're you're spot on to point on to to to, to point out uh, the the issues that they've had over the course of the past several weeks in second halves, late in games, uh, you know, and and yeah, the the game was there for them. <laughs> Whether you're right, whether it was the Valeri penalty or the Olam header, uh, or or one of you know a couple other half chances they had, the game was there for them to take. Uh, in, in a game, frankly, in which they shut down Sporting Kansas City pretty darn good. I think the Timbers have got to feel really good about about how they play defensively. And yet, despite all the chances, despite, I mean, having, you know, when you look at sort of the expected goal value of both the penalty and the, the Olam header that he should have just tapped in with his foot, uh, it was those two things happened, you know, 30, 45 seconds apart. And had an expected goal value of, I, I think, in total, about 1.1 or 1.2 together, which is that you should definitely have scored a goal there. Uh, and the Timbers didn't. And that's not that's not good. Uh, that, that's really, really frustrating. And so I think for, for both that reason and just the, the, the recent history of, you know, blowing these results that they have in their hand uh, and, 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 that, and that they have... Uh, sort of there to take. I mean, think of it, think about how different we would be feeling if the Timbers even came close to holding on to those results. I mean, you know, if instead of 0-2-2 oh, two two, uh, over the course of these last four four games, maybe the Timbers are 2-1-1, are one one, right? And then they get seven points out of this instead of two. We would feel completely, completely different right now. This would be a totally different discussion. It would be a discussion about how the Timbers are getting ready to be uh, sort of sort of make a run over a pretty favorable schedule as the season closes out into being a supporter shield candidate. They would be tied at the top of the conference with the Sporting Kansas City that they just went on the road and drew against. Uh, they would be in in as good a position as anybody in the Western Conference. They've got. Uh, a stretch of games coming up in August and September and October. 
in which they have very few midweek games when a lot of other teams do, and that's just going to help them pick up points as they go. Uh, and, and, and that would be the discussion. Right now, the discussion, even though the Timbers are still sitting in third, I think they're fourth in, in, in points per game, the discussion is very much about whether this team can survive. Uh, and, and if they had even held on to some of those results uh, over the course of the last four games, we would be this, this would be an entirely different podcast. Uh, and the discussion on, on, on the message boards and on Twitter and all that would be completely different. But they haven't, and it's impossible to take this SKC game out of that context because it was very much a similar pattern. Take the lead into halftime, come out of halftime, and they had their worst stretch of the game by far in the 15 or 20 minutes after halftime, including conceding the goal. And then they sort of put it back together, and that was sort of the plot twist, right? And that is the one thing that I, that I think you that Caleb Porter would look to and say, but we put it back together and we didn't do that at Colorado. We didn't do that certainly at Minnesota. We didn't do that against Seattle. We did it today, and that's progress, and, and that's fair. But they still dropped the result, and that stinks. Uh, I, I think the probably biggest positional question going into the game was how the Timbers were going to put together their defensive midfield. We didn't know a lot about whether Darlington Nagby was even going to be available in this game. The, the Timbers were pretty coy about that through the course of the week, uh, but he did. He was, in fact, available, and, and so they went with Darlington Nagby and Ben Zemanski. But as we talked about on this podcast last week, that is far from sort of a, oh, okay, everything's hunky-dory defensive midfield, right? Uh, how did they fare? What did you think about the way they performed in this game uh, against Sporting Kansas City? Well, I definitely felt a lot more confident about the Timbers' um, chances to put together a good performance in defensive midfield when I knew Dar- Darlington Nagby was going to be in there o- over some sort of makeshift um, D-mid with Zarek Valentin or, or Lawrence Olam and some- something going on in center back. I, I think that was... Um, something the Timbers needed. I, I think this may have been a completely different game. You look at the fact that Nagby uh, completed 100% of his passes. This definitely would have been a completely different game had Nagby not been in there. Um, I think they fared pretty well. I, I wasn't sure what how defensive the approach was going to be with um, Zemanski pretty much sitting back and um, Nagby in there. I, I was not completely confident on how this was going to work out, but I, I think from a defensive side, um, they did a really good job of shutting Kansas City down centrally, um, making I think making it a bit easier for the center backs o- overall. Um, I think it was one of the Timbers' better defensive performances of the year, which which is a bit surprising when you look at it and you look at the players that were on the field. Um, it's not a D mid partnership that I think the Timbers, like you mentioned, would like to go to with any sort of regularity. Um, but I thought both those players stepped up and, and Nagby in particular, I, I thought he was very important to this game and, and having him on the field, having him healthy um, might've played a huge role in the, the way the Timbers were able to both play in the first half and, and the ability to at least pick up the tie uh, at Kansas city. By and large, now that I got my, my microphone to work, it, by the way, whenever that happens, that is 100% user error and not like microphone error, just so everybody knows. It's my fault because I'm a dope. Uh, but that is that that is well-trod territory here on this podcast. Um, yeah, I thought this was maybe Nagby's best performance uh, of the season, sort of whole performance. He certainly had some moments of brilliance uh, and, and he's actually not had a bad season at all. I, I, I think that's that's completely fair to say. But this was quite a good performance. You, you mentioned 100% passing. I thought he and Zemanski just did a tremendous job, given sort of the, the, the circumstances, of doing exactly what you mentioned, sheltering that back line, 
sort of, I mean, it was kind of a stand-up knockdown uh, sort of scheme that they were running between the, the D-mids and the center backs. Both center backs were pretty aggressive in stepping into midfield uh, and, and, and adding that little bit of disruptive bite that neither Nagby nor Zemanski really are going to bring. Uh, but Nagby and Zemanski, in order to do that, had to put them in positions where they were able to do so. And they did. I, I I thought by and large, I mean, if you were to sort of grade out based on expectations of what you expected those two guys to do over the course of a game defensively, that is as good as you as you can reasonably uh, imagine, and maybe even a little bit better. Uh, and so I think that you know Caleb Porter is probably coming away from that one, as you mentioned, saying not exactly something that I want to do on a regular basis, but that was a, a by and large pretty good performance and he probably feels like he got away with one where he was really really shorthanded uh in, in that game and so uh you know you got to give both of those guys credit uh they were called in to do something that was much much more significant than i think they expected to have to provide uh in that position over the course of the season and you know they did it uh, Matt wants to know, does the Kansas City match suggest that Darlington Nagby playing as an eight is more likely uh, when Chara or Guzman is out? What do you think, Jamie Goldberg? Yeah, I, I mean, I think when Chara and Guzman are one of those, or assuming if both of those players are out, I think Nagby is almost certainly going to play in the eight position. If one of those guys is out, I, I think it is definitely a, a possibility that the Timbers look towards. I, that said, Caleb Porter has consistently stuck with the saying that he believes Nagby's best positions on the wing. And I think if you're looking for more attacking production out of Nagby, that's where he has to play. So it depends kind of on what uh, Porter wants out of the game. I think when Chara and Guzman are both out, the, given the Timbers option, it's, it makes sense that Nagby has to kind of drop back into the eight position. Um, but the, the a Timbers team at full health does have other options um, when only one of those guys is out. And if Porter's looking for a little bit of more um, production from Nagby in the attack, I, I think he would want to keep him up on the wing. Um, I, I think one thing to kind of, I think that um, would push Nagby a little bit more towards the eight is the performance of Dar and Espria. Because when Espria is playing as well as he has been playing, it makes a lot more sense for to keep him on the field and you think you're going to get the attacking production you need out of a winger in him. And then you have more leeway, I think, also to move back, nag me back to the eight spot. I'm still not convinced that it that it is sort of a an everyday option. I'll, I'll put it that way. I mean, if you're sort of charting out how is this team going to play over the course of the next couple of weeks, I... Yeah, I still think he's probably about the fifth option uh, to move into defensive midfield. If, if, if Chara and Guzman are one and two or one and one A, uh, Lawrence Olin is probably option number three. I, I think Amobi Okugo has generally looked pretty good uh, in, in defensive midfield. So I still think he's probably option number four because he wouldn't necessitate moving Nagby out of that preferred attacking spot. But, you know, I mean, <laughs> failing all of those, and for various reasons, none of them uh, were available to play in this game at Kansas City, uh, I, I do think that, that he showed that it is still viable. But look, I mean, we've seen this exposed. We've seen Nagby exposed in D-mid uh, earlier this season. We saw it exposed in, in a very, very significant way early last season uh, in 2016. Uh, yes, it was sort of the tactical wrinkle uh, that got the Timbers to MLS Cup in 2015, but... I mean, look, you you can't remember that experience without also remembering the experience that the Timbers had with this exact setup, uh, with Nagby playing that exact role 
early in 2016, which was pretty disastrous. Uh, And so, you know, I I do think that it causes problems, uh, you know, structurally, if that is sort of your 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 option, you know, if that is how you're planning to set up your team in the long term. But I mean, if anything, I think this showed that maybe it is a club that's still in the bag. If you've got a team, if you're playing an opponent, for example, that doesn't like to invert wingers, that that doesn't like to really overload those central areas, uh, then maybe it is something that you can pull once in a while. You can say, all right, I'm going to give up a little bit of central defense in order to get uh, a little bit more two-way work out of Nagby in there and also get a little bit more direct winger like Espria on the field for the entire game. But I think when everybody's healthy, uh, or even when when you know everybody's sort of close to healthy, uh, and you have an absence in, in defensive midfield, I think he's much more likely Porter is to look to Olam or to look to Okugo before he's going to look to to fundamentally change shape, unless he wants to introduce sort of the, that that tactical wrinkle. So, I mean, I guess the answer is sort of the yes. It shows the clubs in the bag, but I don't expect Porter to pull it out with any sort of regularity. Uh, Adi. He he went down and earned a penalty. Uh, from the camera angle that they primarily showed on ESPN, it looked pretty questionable. It's clear that Tamelia did not get him, did not clip him uh, with his hand. It's not entirely clear whether there was any contact between the two or not. Uh, what do you think, though, based on your you know your take on the uh, on the replays and all that? Do you think Fernando Adi will be suspended? For simulation or embellishment on the penalty call. As a reminder, if the disciplinary committee does find that it was it was simulation or embellishment, he will be suspended. And the reason for that is they they can't give him sort of a, a you know a misdemeanor uh, fine or anything like that because it it ultimately resulted in a penalty being called. And so that is sort of the the aggregate aggravating factor that would make it an automatic suspension. But the question nonetheless remains: Was it simulation or embellishment of the type that that the disciplinary committee? is likely to sanction. What do you say? I, I mean, I, I think based on that angle, um, no, um, because I, I've watched that now a number of times and I can't tell for sure that it, um, Amelia did not um, touch Audi. Um, it's very questionable, like you said, but I don't think that angle is enough um, to definitively say, yes, that was a dive and Audi should be suspended. Now, I want to see what other angles um, the disciplinary committee can look at because... I think from another angry angle, you could see it would be more certain whether or not um, Audi was actually uh, touched and whether he went down because of that or whether it was a just a dive. Um, but from that angle alone, I, I think it's too questionable to, questionable to be sure either way and definitely not enough to change the call. But I assume they are going to have potentially other angles to look at. And, and so it wouldn't shock me if ultimately this does come down as a suspension either. I, I agree with that take. The only thing that I think is is important to sort of point out is that I actually think the the Zamaili penalty was is very very similar in that regard because you could see on the Zamaili penalty uh, the one that the the Timbers gave away in Montreal earlier this season there was clearly nothing penalty worthy uh, in sort of uh, Sebastian Blanco's hand on the shoulder right that was that was a tap on the shoulder he went down that that was clearly nothing that, that was worthy of a penalty the only thing that you couldn't tell definitively. And, and it's not that there was great video evidence that it happened. The only thing you could say is that, like, maybe I don't, I can't really tell is maybe Blanco also clipped him with what I think would have been his right foot uh, as they sort of came through the play. And maybe that could have caused the fall. 
I don't think there was there was very convincing video evidence that that happened, but I'm sure that's what the disciplinary committee was looking at and it's, and essentially in saying, uh, I don't essentially saying we can't tell if it was a dive or not when they decided not to suspend Zamiley. And so, yeah, I agree with you. Unless there, there, there is an angle, and I know ESPN showed some. I just frankly didn't have that good of a look at a TV live uh, in order to, to, to see. So there are definitely other angles out there. And the question will be whether one shows it sufficiently definitively uh, for the disciplinary committee to say, yes, that was a dive, or still, we can't really tell if there's contact between them, if maybe Amelia uh, got, sh- got, you know, sort of a, 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 a shove or a nudge in on him. With his, I, I think it would have been right shoulder to a, to to Audie's right leg. Maybe he was left. I don't know. Right and left are hard. Um, but but in any event, that there was enough contact to sort of like make there be something there. So I would tend to think, unless there is something that makes it perfectly, uh, absolutely clear that it was a dive, uh, the disciplinary committee will not suspend. But I don't entirely know what they're going to be looking at. Um, Randy. Wants to know, given the mercurial nature of Alvis Powell, do you believe he's a long-term fit at right back? A little bit of context to uh, Randy's question. The Timbers concession in the 60th minute uh, that, that, that just narrowly foiled Jamie Goldberg's uh, prediction. Uh, it was, again, it was another one of these balls from out wide. Uh, not It was a good ball, to be sure, from uh, Roger Espinoza to give him the credit that he deserves. Uh, but it, it was also just sort of a, a, a naked run uh, that Powell failed to track and, and was ultimately sort of like one touched into the roof of the net. So Powell certainly uh, certainly d- gets his share of culpability on the goal in what had otherwise been a, to that point for him a pretty good game. Uh, but nonetheless, that's exactly the kind of goal, exactly the kind of soft goal uh, that the Timbers can't concede. Uh, especially in in a, in a game against a tough opponent on the road when you have a 1-0 lead, which leads to Randy's question. I mean, given that we've seen these mistakes from him and that we've seen them now with relative frequency, uh, do you believe that, that Powell can be a long-term sort of solution at right back, or, or is it time that the Timbers start looking elsewhere? I mean, the Timbers have been grooming Powell. He took over the, the right-back role in 2014, so they've been grooming him now for a while to, to move into that right-back role and provide the consistency that they expect. And he's shown flashes of exactly what the Timbers want out of him. The problem is it, it seems like whenever you're getting a bunch of good performances out of Alvis Powell, you, you, he comes back to earth or he goes in the wrong direction and he doesn't keep that consistency going. He, he doesn't keep moving in the right direction uh, where I think the Timbers would hope he, he would, he would be, and he would continue to grow. Um, so I think He's still young, but it is problematic that he seems unable to can, to keep on a consistent track upwards. At this point, he he has a lot of time in MLS under his belt. I, I think you you start to worry about this inconsistency at this point. I think this is a year that he's going to have to prove himself, and he hasn't done that yet. Um, he still has as long as he's on the roster, as long as the Timbers don't do anything drastic and move him in this window. Um, I think he still has time to prove that if he can earn the spot back, because I think at this point it is earning that spot back. I I do not think he's going to start on Wednesday, Um, but if he can earn that spot back and and provide some consistency down the stretch, then yeah, maybe the Timbers um, continue to give him a chance. I I think overall that his contract hit is is not uh, that bad. Um, but it's getting to that point where they've invested a lot of time in Alvis Powell and he's still 
proving to be inconsistent and not moving, I would say, in the right direction. And I think this year has really been a step backwards for him. I'm going to throw this back to you in a little bit different way. So, I mean, as you mentioned, unless the Timbers go and do something in this window, like trade him, uh, I mean, what is your approach if you're the Timbers to, you know, (laughs) talking about Alvis Powell and potentially trading or transferring Powell in this window? Are you saying we're going to try to go out and do this? Are are you saying this is something that we're actively trying to do uh, if you're the Timbers? Or is it something where you're like, hey, I'm willing to listen? Uh, Or are you still at, you're probably never going to offer me anything that's worth it, so forget it. Uh, I mean, you know, put yourself in sort of Gavin Wilkinson's shoes. What is your your sort of of perspective and strategy with Powell in this window? I think... I think maybe they're at the willing to listen point. Um, I don't think the Timbers are actively going to go out and try to trade Powell, uh, especially given that their backup options are Valentin, who I think has shown overall well, but it is not someone the Timbers ever expected to be a starter. And similarly, Chance Myers, who's dealt with injury and someone that the Timbers also did not expect to be a starter. Um, I They'd like to see Powell earn his spot back and play up to the potential that they think he has. Um, but since it's been such a rough season for him, I think if there's an offer out there and I think if they think it's an offer, that's a good offer, they'd be interested in listening and they would potentially take that. But I am not sure that the Timbers are at the point yet where they're actively looking to, to get rid of Pal uh, at this juncture. You know, and, and I, I agree with you that, that it is probably sort of listening and, and if a good deal comes together, then, then, then pursue it. Uh, and and the big reason is, you know, I I don't, yeah, I think Zarek Valentin is a really good backup right back. Uh, I I don't think he's a great fit as a right back for what the Timbers really want and need uh, for right back. I mean, you know, the entire premise of this question is that Alvis Powell isn't either, uh, and and hasn't proven to be to be that either. He he certainly has the tools to be. Uh, I think certainly much more so than than Valentin, given his athleticism, given his ability uh, to get the ball to the byline and, and and to sort of be that wide attacking threat. Uh, that the Timbers don't really have in in the in their uh, in, in their first choice lineup, but I mean, <laughs> for extended periods, he hasn't been uh, those things that the, that the Timbers wanted to be, and so that is sort of baked into the question uh, here itself. So I mean, I, in in light of the fact that there is no sort of great succession answer right now, uh, I I think it would be surprising if the Timbers were sort of actively trying to move him. Uh, but that very well may be a different uh, a, a different answer in, in the offseason. The Timbers may be thinking in the offseason, you know, I mean, this may be sort of going down on Gavin Wilkinson's priority list. Look for a new right back. Uh, look for somebody who we, not just to, to sort of provide depth like Valentin or Myers, or, or maybe to push Powell like Valentin or Myers, but to come in and take the job. Uh, and if they can get that locked down, uh, then, then to part ways with Powell one way or another. And so... Uh, I think this becomes a hotter question uh, in, in the offseason, which, which certainly lends itself to your point that as long as he's here, he's got an opportunity to earn that spot back. But yeah, I mean, I, I agree with you that, that it's probably now his spot that he's lost. I would be surprised uh, if he is now, as of today, still number one on, on Caleb Porter's death chart. He, he's been substituted a couple times under circumstances in which it doesn't make a ton of sense uh, to substitute him and, and otherwise to say, this guy stinks and I want a better guy in there. So I'm going to Zarek. Uh, and, and, and so, you know, I mean, whether he get, getting back to Randy's question is, is a long-term fit. I, I, I think we're getting closer and closer to being able to say, mm, I don't think he's going to come around. I don't think uh, these mistakes 
that could once be 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 sort of explained by inexperience, uh, but now are recurring and recurring over and over again. Uh, you know, I, I I don't think you can explain him that way. And, and and so, is he a long term fit? I'm leaning more toward doubtful. <laughs> and I think I wouldn't be I would be surprised if the Timbers aren't too. Uh, Timbers versus Chicago Fire. That is a Wednesday evening game. Uh, it is, I think, the second to last midweek game that the Timbers have this year. I, that, that's off the top of my head, so I very well could be wrong about that. But I know that after the Gold Cup break, they have many, many fewer midweek games than certainly they've had recently, which is good news for us because it makes podcast recording a lot easier. Uh, but And also good news for the Timbers because it just means that their schedule is a bit less congested. Uh, I think, but I don't know, and maybe you can provide a little bit more uh, on this, that, that both Powell and Darren Maddox will be leaving to join Jamaica with the Gold Cup. Is that correct, that they'll be gone before this game? Do we know? What, what's the deal there? Um, I don't think we know for sure. It's what they said on the TV broadcast yesterday, so um, I think it's likely that they'll be gone, but we're going to have a chance to talk to Caleb Porter tomorrow to get a for sure answer on that. The Fire are going to be without Dax McCarty. They've already been without Dax McCarty. He has gone to join the U.S. national team uh, at the Gold Cup. Um, and, and so they were without Dax. But <laughs> ask our friends up north in Vancouver whether that, that weakened the Fire a whole lot. And they would give you a pretty unequivocal answer because the, the Whitecaps got absolutely crushed in Bridgeview. Uh, it was 3-0 after 30 minutes. The Fire were all over the Whitecaps early on. It ended up going 4-0. Uh, Matias Lava ended up picking up a red card. I mean, if you want to talk about going on the road and putting in just a disastrous performance, that's what the Whitecaps did this last weekend in Chicago. And look, I mean, there are, there are people who are credibly claiming right now that the Chicago Fire are the hottest team in MLS, which is an insane thing to say, uh, given the, the Fire's form over the course of the last few years. But look, I mean, you've got Nemanja Nikolic, who's been tremendous for them. Uh, you've got David Akam, who is having a career year. You've got Dax McCarty, when he's there at least, uh, who has been one of the best, again, been one of the best defensive midfielders in MLS. You've got Bastian Schweinsteiger, who's come in and has made a significant difference uh, for this fire team. You, you, you've got a fire back line that finally, finally seems to have stabilized a little bit uh, with Kapelhoff and, and, and Mera. Uh, and Brandon Vincent at left back, where he's been one of the best left backs in MLS over the course of the season. You've even got a guy that, that looked just dead on his feet with with the Colorado Rapids and Louis Solignac. Solignac, English is hard, especially when you're saying a name that's not English, uh, who's, who has been contributing significantly. Uh, so this is a fire team that looks pretty darn well balanced, pretty darn uh, complete right now, and they've just been absolutely annihilating everybody in their path which I'm sure is exactly what you want to hear uh, when you've got a team that's, that's coming to Providence Park to take on a Timbers team that looks like it'll once again be pretty depleted. Any changes you expect from the Timbers 11 or that you can even imagine from the Timbers 11, uh, save for the one we've already discussed, Valentin for Powell, uh, any other changes that you expect or, or, or can even conceive uh, heading into this fire game? No, I, I don't think the Timbers have many options at all right now. So I think that's going to be the obvious one. Valentin's going to come on for Pal. Um, if there's any sort of injuries in D-mid or on the back line, and I think Valentin's going to have to be a guy that can be um, versatile and potentially switch over to another position. Um, but let's hope that doesn't happen to the Timbers because they are very limited right now. Um, I'm thinking about the roster and just who's going to be available. And assuming Pal and Maddox are gone as we think, 
think they will be. I, I believe the Timbers can only carry an 18 in terms of available players if they decide to put two goalkeepers on the bench. So um, <laughs> they might just go with 17 players. Um, and so this is a very, very thin Timbers team playing a Chicago team that frankly has not been uh, impacted Um Dax McCarty is a big loss, but but comparatively not impacted as much by the Gold Cup and aren't dealing with the same injuries. So they're going to be facing a Chicago team that's going to be much closer to full strength um, when they are dealing with some real issues right now. Um, so it's it's going to be an interesting game to see. Um, obviously, the Timbers kind of proved us wrong, went to Kansas City and put in overall a really good performance uh, against the number one team in the West in the Western Conference. Uh, we'll see if they can do it again, um, even more shorthanded against Chicago. So let, let's play this out. The the if game, uh, if Fernando Adi is suspended, you know, if the, the disciplinary committee decides to go hashtag Adi rules on him uh, and suspend him where, where they wouldn't Zamaili in the past. Uh, what is the switch there? I mean, is it just Jeremy Obobese up top? Uh, is it maybe Dyrona Spria up top in a position that we've never seen him, but uh, Caleb Porter has mentioned a couple times is an option. And then maybe a Victor Arboleda on the wing. What do you think it, it would be? I, I think those are, those would have to be um, one of the, I, I think it would have to be one of those two, two things. Cause I don't see who else. I mean, the other option would be maybe to move Espria up and Nagby back to the wing, but I just don't see another option at, at defensive midfield for them right now, unless they want to, do something crazy like move Valentine there and put Chance Myers in the game. I don't see that happening. So I, I think most likely, um, I, I think the simplest switch might be uh, to play Abobasi, um, uh, unless they think Victor Arboleda at this point is ahead of him. Um, in which case, maybe we do see a spree up top, but it, it, it's going to be thin. Um, if if Audi's <laughs> out, I think they have no choice but to play one of those two young guys. Um, and I, I am trying to count in my mind whether or not they will be at the point where they could call up a USL player um, with extreme hardship because they're going to be right around there. Yeah, they'll be close. But, I mean, we we can just count the, the field players that uh, at least, you know, assuming Audi is suspended, counting the field players, they would certainly have Farfan on the bench. Uh, they, they, they would certainly have, uh, Chance Myers on the bench. They would have either Arboleda or Abobasi. And if that is all, then they could well, call they'd, up. They'd have to, they'd have to put Renico Clark on the bench. He's yeah, that's right. They would have to put Renico Clark on the bench. So that would be four. Uh, and so the Timbers would not be able to, to call up an Augustine Williams, for example, from, uh, from T2 or Villian Bijev. uh, probably Williams, I, I think would almost certainly be the call. Uh, so, you know, I mean, unless in, in unless there is a, a sort of health based reason uh, that Clark is not available, uh, which I mean, you know, can always happen. Uh, but, you know, I mean, unless there's something like that, I certainly think the Timbers would be unable to make a call from T2. So suboptimal, <laughs> not ideal to be sure. Uh, but, uh, you know, as we talked about, I would be a little bit on the surprise side uh, if Adi is ultimately suspended unless the disciplinary committee has something that is, that is much clearer than, than what I've seen a uh, question from Brian uh, on, on sort of a, a left field question. As we wrap up the Timbers discussion, uh, how is Adam Corse doing? Uh, the answer is not great. He's actually had a really rough go since leaving uh, Portland. He, uh, he spent the last season at Brondby in Denmark. Uh, he battled through a number of injuries. I think he had a pretty significant back injury uh, that really hampered his last season. 
Uh, and a, as a result, he, he really failed to break through there. Uh, you know, as, as a result of the combination of injuries and form, uh, he just signed and I, and I'm not going to be able to pronounce this well, uh, Valerenga, uh, in Oslo that, that was, uh, Quarase's sort of first big professional club. Uh, looks like he's going back there, back to Norway, uh, in order to, uh, to sort of reboot his career. Certainly a 29, that's, that's not sort of a death knell for a goalkeeper, but, Personally, for Quarase, it's been a really rough go since leaving uh, since leaving Portland, and, and that's been brutal. What do you think, uh, sort of in in looking back on that move now, in light of everything, both last year and this year's performance, uh, Quarase out, Gleason slash Adonella now in, uh, is the Timbers goalkeeping situation significantly worse off now? I think it's probably a little bit worse off. Uh, I think Gleason has certainly made um, some mistakes that Quarasi might not have made, but I also do think Gleason had proved to be the better shot blocker. So there might've been some give and take there anyways. I I think in terms of the salary cap, the Timbers are getting a much better deal. And and to look at that, that may have helped them in other areas, something like bringing Olam in, um, uh, other areas where they were able to maybe navigate the salary cap a little bit better. So I, I think overall, you still have to say that's a good move. Um, when you look at just the performance of Gleason, maybe, maybe in the long run, you, you, Quarcy would have been the better fit. But given the salary cap difference and what that extra money may have allowed the Timbers to do elsewhere on the field, I still think it's a good move. Yeah, I, I, I just think that's right. You know, I mean, certainly there, there are things that that Adam Quarcy was better at and has been better at than than Jake Gleason. Um, and Gleason, I, I think, has been a little bit more mistake prone this season than we ever saw Quarase. Frankly, though, I, I thought Gleason was just straight up better than Quarase last season. Uh, even what we saw of Quarase at the beginning of 2016 uh, did not look as good as what we saw in 2015. Uh, and that was, I, I think, a big driver in, in why Gleason was sort of able to come in, win the job, uh, and, and, and sort of take the number one, one shirt while, you know, giving the Timbers the, the ability to have sort of the cap benefits of moving on uh, from, from Quarase. So I don't think that's one that the Timbers look back on and lose a ton of sleep over, uh, in light of the move, but have Gleason and Adonella made some mistakes this year that have cost the Timbers. Yeah, you betcha. But, uh, you know, I mean, I guess fortunately for them, that's a big club on the Timbers roster. Uh, that certainly includes Alvis Powell among others. Okay. Let's talk about the thorns. They had a, certainly a busy week started off, uh, at Providence park in which they just laid the lumber to FC Kansas city, 3-0 in that one in a game that both of us thought uh, were gonna be was gonna be quite a bit tighter. You called a 1-0 win with a Haley Rosso assist. She did have that assist. Uh, she got that assist on on the third goal, uh, Christine Sinclair's second uh, of the day. She also had a goal uh, that was entirely accidental. Um, that, that was very much sort of a, a uh, I, I saw some folks on Twitter calling it a Khalifa Hassan Memorial Cross uh, or Shross uh, as it may be. But nonetheless, she did get that assist. The Thorns did get the win. It was 3-0, not 1-0. Uh, so, you know, I mean, you, you, on the whole, you got the the, the result right. Uh, you got the Thorns shut out right, uh, which counts for something. And you got the Rosso assist right. So good number of points. I'm going to go ahead and give you 17.23. Fair? Yeah. Yeah, I'll take that. All right. Uh, I called a 2-1 Thorns win with an Ashley Sykes goal. She did not score a goal. Uh, she frankly didn't do a, a, a whole ton of anything after she came on, uh, in the second half. 
I get the win, but not really the the the, the feeling of the game. Uh, so I'm just going to go ahead and give myself 3.92 points. Again, are you are you thinking that's a fair assessment? Sure. Yes. Okay. Okay, uh, Rain 2, Thorns 0. This was not as good a game uh, for the Thorns, to be sure. Uh, uh, wow, this is a, a brutal uh, start to the uh, segment for me because, A, I forgot to put down what our predictions were, so I have to look those up. But Megan Rapino uh, got the brace, uh, one in the first half, uh, another in the second for, uh, for the Rain as they sort of ran away with a 2-0 win. Not, not a game in which uh, I think it's fair to say that the Rain dominated, but nonetheless... Uh, the Thorns were the ones that make the, made the critical, critical mistakes. The Rain made the critical plays. Uh, as for our predictions in this game, you called a 1-1 draw with a Christine Sinclair goal. Net. Uh, I called a 3-1 uh, Rain win with uh, with AD French making a, p- a penalty save. She did not save a penalty, but uh, I did get both the margin and the result correct. So I'm going to go ahead and give myself 9.22 points uh, for that one and you zero. Do you agree there? Yeah, I, I, I'm okay with your prediction or your point giving out today, which is which is not yeah, doesn't was, always happen. So good job, Chris. I, yeah, I was hoping you were going to be a little bit more combative. Come on, uh, this is this is this segment's no fun if you <laughs> if you don't do that. Uh, fight back a little bit. Um, but you know, I guess that's just what comes from being just. Uh, people don't disagree with you. Uh, okay, so I mean, look, obviously you've got two pretty divergent results here. You, you've got a, a very convincing win at home midweek. Uh, and then you've got a pretty disappointing, I think it's fair to say, loss uh, on the road against a rival on the weekend. How do you assess the week overall? I mean, good week, bad week for the Thorns, or is it just that sort of ambivalent? Yeah, it, it's an okay week. Um, the, the the win at home was huge. I, I thought that was a really important performance for the Thorns to come out and play like that against a pretty good Kansas City team, a, a team that is especially good defensively. Um to come out and play like that and get a decisive 3-0 win, that was really important for the Thorns, especially coming off two losses. And I was hoping that they would be able to build off that heading to Seattle. Now, Seattle's a place that Thorns have never won, not at Memorial Stadium. Uh, they won a, a few games back in 2013 when, when Seattle was playing at Starfire. But for whatever reason, Memorial ha- has given the Thorns a lot of trouble. Um, so, and Seattle's been a good team. Um, they, I think they've been getting better and better as the season's gone on. They have a lot of talent. Uh, Megan Rapino is a difficult player to stop. So I, I think this was going to be a tough game for the Thorns. And I think a draw would have been a satisfactory result. The problem is that there's a very high expectations for the Thorns. And even though they've seemed at different points this season to begin to turn a corner, um, they haven't been dominant and they haven't been a team that, that you're looking at saying, yeah, this, this is teams about to make a real fight for the, uh, the NWSL shield or, or the NWSL championship title and, and a big difference for the thorns. they've had a few poor results at home, but overall they they've had those dominant performances at home. They haven't been nearly good enough on the road for a team that wants to compete for an NWSL shield. I, I, I think, um, They've been four one and one so far at Providence Park, but only one three and two on the road, and have scored just four goals away from Portland. So they're not scoring a ton on the road. They, at least in the Seattle game, the, the defense, which has been very good, um, when you're when you're not scoring a lot, you hope that your defense at least is going to come back up big. And you look at that first goal they conceded to Seattle, and what what otherwise was a pretty even first half. 
Emily Sonnet just made a big mistake. Um, she tried to, I, I guess, pass the ball back uh, to Franch in a moment of kind of a mental lapse and with Megan Rapino right there. And that's the type of play you can't make when Megan Rapino is right there because she will um, hurt you. So the Thorns have to be better on the road if they want to be the team they can be this year. And I think that's kind of the tale of this week. They, they played the way they can play at home. Um, but the road form hasn't been good enough, and, and that's what they did. They went to Seattle. It was an okay performance, but they weren't able to get the result, and that's happening far too often on the road. You know, and it, it, it's it's especially taken a more recent turn for the worse. I mean, it's funny. You think back just – it was, frankly, just a few weeks ago because both these teams have been playing a lot, and the Thorns have been playing a lot as well. But just a few weeks ago, after the Thorns go to Sky Blue, a good team – and they get that win on the road at Sky Blue, we were both kind of saying, okay, like this Thorns team like could really get rolling. They then come back. They lose to Sky Blue after the international break. And it's been a st- – then they go to Washington. They lose at Wash- at a pretty bad and, and, and weakened Washington team. Uh, I, I am going to have to go back at, at the end of the show to, the, to Timbers Fire because I neglected to mention something on the injury front there. Uh, but <laughs> after that brief commercial – any, any, but in any event, they, they go to Washington, they lose at Washington to a weekend Washington team. And you're like, uh-oh, suddenly, you know, two games after you think the Thorns are going are to get rolling, you're, you're wondering, have they hit a brick wall? Well, they showed midweek that they haven't hit a brick wall, but then they showed on the weekend that, that you're right, that these road form issues are legitimate issues. And, and look, I mean, since that, since that, that, that game at Sky Blue... Uh, they haven't scored on the road in, in 180 minutes uh, against teams that are, are very score against a bowl. Uh, they have not found the back of the net, uh, and, and which is especially frustrating in, in a rain game in which they did have a good number of chances. And you're right, the, the overall performance, if you sort of, you know, I mean, if you're judging out and grading out the game, uh, you know, like, a, like, like gymnastics or something like that, uh, maybe you say the Thorns win, uh, win in, in a judge's decision. As it was, that's not how soccer works, and so the Thorns lost by knockout. Uh, but, you know, I mean, that is certainly becoming a concern. You're right. I mean, they, can they squeeze into the playoffs, being just good at Providence Park, being just good in Portland, and maybe scraping out a few points here and there on the road? Yeah, they probably can. They're a good enough team, and they're probably going to be good enough at Providence Park where that's going to be viable. Are they going to be able to, uh, to to compete for the NWSL Shield or, or to secure uh, a, 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 at least a home game at Providence Park in the playoffs if they were to do so? Nah. Um, uh, Amandine Henri, Dagny, and uh, Nadia Nadim are all gone now for the Euros. How big of a problem is that for the Thorns? Yeah, uh, this this could be a real issue for the Thorns. Nadia Dadeem has been one of their best players in the attack. Obviously, they've dealt with a, a few absences um, recently uh, as she's dealt with some injuries. Dagny's been out for a, a lot of the season, um, but has just started to come back in in a little bit of a strange position at, at right back. Um, I'm not, given that they've survived with her for most of the season, without her for most of the season, I'm not as concerned about that absence. Um, but Amandine Henri obviously has been critical um for the thorns in the midfield so those are three important players two what i would say critical players um for the thorns and it's going to be tough um you put that on top of tobin heath still being out the thorns are losing some real firepower um in their attack and and a real important player in, in central midfield so 
I think this could be a real issue. They Thorns still have talent. Haley Rosso has started to show, I, I think, even better recently. Christine Sinclair it, was able to get the brace. Um, I think that was a good step forward. Uh, you hope that Ashley Sykes, uh, as she keeps getting minutes, is going to get more integrated and is going to be able to um, start to produce in the attack. Um, and, and they still have, obviously, Ali Long, Lindsay Horan. This is a team that still has uh, talented players in the midfield, talented players in the attack. Um, they can survive these losses, uh, but they're going to have to play, uh, particularly on the road, they're going to have to play better. They're going to have to find a way for the players that they have left to come together and put in the performances they can. Um, because this is just going to add uh, to the depleted lineup and, and the Thorns are capable of overcoming it. But when you look at some of these recent performances, specifically on the road, it, it makes me feel a little bit more worried to see whether they will be able to actually do that. You know, and there, I, I just want to add two notes to that. The first about, about Dagny, uh, because especially in that FCKC game, I thought Dagny was really critical to the Thorns sort of establishing control over that game. She looked, at least from an attacking perspective, she looked green defensively at right back. But from an attacking perspective, by far, uh, the most effective attacking right back the Thorns ha- have had this year really combined well with Haley Rosso on that side and caused a ton of problems. For the left side of the FCKC defense, especially when the Thorns were able to sort of switch uh, in in sort of a a, a midfield set and able to switch the field over to that right side, they were able to really overload the the FCKC left side. And that caused major problems for for Kansas City and really let the Thorns get on their front foot in that game. So, so you know, I I agree with you that she's not as sort of critical a loss uh, as Nadim, as Henri. Uh, but nonetheless, I, I, I do think the sort of inability to keep working that and to keep thinking, looking to see if that's going to be sort of a viable way forward is nonetheless a loss. And, and then Monashim obviously should, should you know, be, be pointed out as one of the potential solutions here. She started in both the FCKC and the rain game. She was really good uh, in the FCKC game in particular. Uh, she was one of the more effective players on the field, not sort of as, as, as a true attacking midfielder, but, you know, somebody that... I mean, in, in many ways, if you're going to make a Timbers analogy, kind of played the Darlington-Nagby role, uh, largely from the wing, but working in transition more than than working in sort of the final third uh, was really tremendous, frankly. It very, very nearly uh, got an assist in the first half of that game uh, and, and and put in overall a good shift in, in a season that's been uh, a difficult one for her that's been at times interrupted. Uh, by injury. So you can look to those things to, 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 to you know, as you noted, Sykes, uh, Rosso, uh, but also to Monashim and, and say there's still talent here. There are still uh, players here that can win games for the Thorns going forward. But it's obviously going to be harder without those three. Uh, a few questions from uh, from various folks around the Thorns world. Andrew wants to know, why is Ali Long still playing so deep? Uh, do you still think, do you think that is after everything we've seen, uh, the right way to set up the Thorns midfield? What do you say? I mean, she's playing deep because they're trying to balance having multiple players in the midfield that can get forward in the attack. And you've seen what Lindsay Rand can do in, in the attack. I personally would like to see Ali Long play much further up the field. I mean, you saw when you, when you look back a few years, just in terms of the goals and assist production she was giving for the Thorns, it, it was significant. Um, Ali Long was one of the Thorns' most important attacking players. And, and by sitting her as deep uh, as she's been playing, I, I think that fits in line with kind of the role she's been playing with the national team. 
But I think on this team, she's capable of being the spark in the attack that the Thorns need. And when they've been struggling to score on the road um, in some of these games, and they've had some games in the attack that aren't up to the level that you want it to be, and particularly since they're missing a big attacking piece in Tobin Heath, I would like to see Mark Parsons kind of change his formation or, or, or change kind of Ali Long's role within that um, to get her further up the field because I, I think she could be kind of a key um, to the Thorns to kind of get out of some of these attacking slumps, particularly on the road. I, I agree. And, uh, you know, I, I think I've been of this persuasion uh, basically throughout this experience and, and nothing I've seen has, has changed my mind. I'll put it that way. I think Amandine Henri is probably their best option as a six. Uh, I think Allie Long is a really, really good option as an eight. And I think Lindsay Horan is probably uh, their best option as a 10. And so if I were putting together the midfield, that is the way I would do it. I'm not sure why we haven't seen more of that. Uh, because the, that seems to me to be the most, most logical uh, piece. Notably, Jill Ellis is, has also really, really tried to sort of institute Allie Long as a six. Uh, and so it could be, uh, you know, I mean, both coaches sort of thinking they want to get that sort of consistently ingrained because that that's where they see the upside. But I'm just not entirely sure I, I agree with it or I or, or I would go with that approach. So uh, in, in many ways, I, I agree with the premise of, a, of Andrew's question. Uh, I think Allie is a better player when she's able to, to get into the attack a bit and really can just be an absolute terror uh, when teams have to account for her you know, on a relatively consistent basis coming into the attack uh, as an eight rather than, uh, than than as somebody who who is primarily sitting as a six. So, yeah, I guess I just agree with Andrew. <laughs> Hannah wants to know, obviously not having Tobin Heath is a big loss, but what else is going on with the Thorns midfield? If, if there's any other factor other than what we've discussed already, we've hit a number of things uh, over the course of the last few minutes that are sort of relevant to this, germane to this discussion. But is there anything else that you think is going on with the Thorns midfield that sort of makes it keep like it's, you know, not getting into fifth gear? It's stuck in second or third. I mean, I mean, when I when I look at it, I, I really think it does come down to injuries and kind of how they're playing um, Henri or Haran and Long uh, alongside each other. Um that, I, I think that's really what it comes down to to me. I, I think that, like you said, they could do a better job uh, of what the, what Parsons could do a better job in, in the roles he has with Long, Haran, and, and Henri. I, I think injuries, Haran was coming off an injury to start the year. Amandine um, Henri has dealt with injuries. Um, when you look further in the attack, there's been a number of injuries. So I, I think injuries as a whole ha- has limited consistency um, and probably limited chemistry to some degree. Um, I think Ali Long also uh, dealt with the injury at, at some point this season. Um, so injuries have played a big role in it, and I still think that they haven't figured out the exact dynamic between those three players that, that would be most effective. You know, and and the point to make there, I mean, in light of all that, is that, look, anytime you're trying to get sort of a, a midfield working as a unit, you've got to have consistency. And primarily because of injuries this year, they just really haven't had that. I mean, it, it's been... Sort of a you know Mark Parsons' task has been sort of a week by week. How am I gonna how am I gonna make this work this week in light of the tools that are available to me? Uh, and I think that's a huge challenge. We we don't frankly talk about that enough. We don't talk about it enough with respect to the Timbers back line. We haven't talked about it enough with respect to the Thorns midfield. But when you're when you're sort of trying to mix and match things on on a weekly basis, 
uh, it is really hard uh, to get something, uh, you know, as, as the question sort of suggests, firing on all cylinders uh, when you don't have those options available consistently every single week. So uh, I, I, that is the other factor that I would certainly point to. I, I just don't think there's been enough consistency to sort of put it all together. Whether that can happen by the end of the season, we'll see. I mean, that's certainly the hope. The, the Thorns certainly hope to have Tobin Heath back and available uh, in time for late season or the, or the playoffs. But given that she's now on the 60-day DL, that is, you know, an exercise as much in hope uh, as it is in, in in sort of, you know, expectation. Okay, uh, predictions. This is a weekend edition, so we're going to make sure we, we keep it a little bit tight and keep it close to the hour. So let's just hit our predictions for the two games of this upcoming week. The first game, chronologically, is the Timbers against the Fire. So let's start there. I, I just don't see how um, this depleted Timbers roster is going to beat a, a Chicago team that's been um, dominant recently and is not going to be dealing with the, the same um won't have nearly as thin uh, of a roster as the Timbers have. So um, Timbers are at home. I, I think they'll put in a decent performance, but I, I think the fire are going to win this game two to one. Um, and I think Espria is going to get uh, the Timbers goal. So I'm going to go ahead. Oh, by the way, I did have one, one last uh, bit of news and this is potentially significant. And so you might be kind of mad that I didn't talk about this uh, before that. Uh, but Bastian uh, Schweinsteiger did come off in that game against uh, Vancouver with an apparent injury. It sounds like it's a it's a hip thing. I've only seen him described as day-to-day right now, so I think it's fair to say he's questionable. But given that the game is on turf, which we know how people who spent most of their careers in Europe feel about that, uh, and it's on the short turnaround, if I were a betting man, I, I, would, I would bet that he will not play, uh, which could be potentially significant, because then if you're talking about Dax being out, uh, if you're talking about Schwein, uh, Schweinsteiger being out, that is significantly limited for for the fire they'll certainly still run out Juninho but at that point they are scraping uh scraping the 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 bottom of the barrel a little bit maybe they move a Matt Polster into midfield and and bring in like a Michael Harrington at right back but they nonetheless have to then make those decisions uh and they're certainly significantly weakened from where you know you would expect them to be uh as to my prediction since I like slid that in uh at the last moment uh, I'm going to say that the Timbers are going to get a result out of this, but it's not going to be great. It's going to be a 2-2 draw. Uh, I think Sebastian Blanco is going to have a big game. He's going to score a goal. Uh, he's going to lodge an assist. Uh, and if it is Michael Harrington at right back, he's going to be the guy uh, that Sebo Blanco victimizes a little bit. You, you know, this fire team has been absolutely dominant in Bridgeview. I think I think they, they are unbeaten in Bridgeview and maybe even only have one draw. They've been more human on the road. I think they're 2-3-3 three, and three on the road. Uh, so they're, they're beatable on the road, but you've got to play well against them. Uh, I don't think the Timbers are going to beat them, but I think the Timbers are going to get a point out of it, uh, which I think will have people in a not enthusiastic, but not necessarily catastrophic mood going into the Gold Cup break. Uh, Thorns at Dash. Uh, that game is on the weekend. Um, and what do you think is going to happen? I actually have to look up the time because I forgot to write it down. Uh, Thorns at Dash, what's your call? I think this is a game that the Thorns are, are going to be able to get a win. The Dash have not been good this season. The Thorns do have a full week to recover. They're not going to be having to play on short rest, which they've been doing a lot recently. Um, so I think they'll take the full week to recover. They'll put in a good enough performance on the road, um, which will be important to them. Um, and since the Dash are a weak team um, and have been a weak team, the, the Thorns will pull out a 2-1 win. Um and Ashley Sykes, uh, after another week of training, will be a little bit more integrated, and she'll get her, her first goal. 
Yeah, I think the Dash are, are the unequivocally worst team in NWSL. Uh, the game, by the way, is Saturday at 530. Uh, I just... In light of the road form, I, I'm I'm like going halfway to to your level of optimism. I'm not ready to go there entirely. I'm going to call a one-one draw with a Lindsay Iran goal. Um, I, I I just want to see it before I sort of like I, I feel burned uh, after the, the the sky blue experience uh, uh, of sort of jumping on the bandwagon and saying, "All right, now it's time to get rolling." Uh, I'm not ready to go there with this Thorns team the way they've been playing on the road. So I'm I think going down. In relatively tough conditions in in, in Houston, uh, in, in a semi night evening game, I think it'll be as they tend to be pretty muddy affairs uh, in, in the heat and humidity. And so I'm going to say they come away with the one one draw. Okay, I think the only thing that that we have left then is the fantasy update. Uh, we are we are as of just a few minutes ago, as it turns out, through the MLS weekend. So we do have a true fantasy update. Uh, for you in first place in, in the soccer made in Portland fantasy league. I moved up this week into 30th. I think that's like one spot. whoop de do uh, in third place uh, starting there is beer city FC. That's Benjamin. Uh, he has 1,706 points, just one point above him. That's lie Timbertown uh, with 1,707 points uh, still in the top spot. Although not after a great week uh, is big hearts, brass balls. That's Aaron with 1,745. As I mentioned, I'm down in 30th. Uh, moving up one spot, and Jamie Goldberg staying in exactly that spot. You, you've been nothing if not consistent. I will give you that. Uh, incredibly consistent in the soccer made in Portland Fantasy League this year, uh, and consistent insofar as your lack of participation. Um, this is the end of the podcast. Uh, we, we are Soccer Made in Portland. You can find us every week on OregonLive.com and Stumptown Footy. You can also, of course, subscribe on iTunes and Stitcher. Uh, that's Jamie Goldberg. I'm Chris Reifer. Uh, we appreciate all of you, both for your questions and for uh, tuning in. Uh, enjoy the two games, uh, the Timbers midweek and the Thorns on the weekend. We'll be back next week to talk about all of that and, you know, maybe more, maybe less, uh, as we usually are. So enjoy the weekend. Enjoy the 4th of July. Uh, and until next week, as always, take care. <laughs>